Welcome to On Uninformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, On Uninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you. So, wait, wait, wait. Um, I'm going to try it again because I have to change the tagline for this. Um, okay, here we go. Round two. Each week, On Uninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you and to outer space and beyond so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. This week, we're talking about space and we're talking about U.S.-Russia politics. But let's start with space. That's a little less controversial. So earlier this year, I called into the radio show called Science Friday, and my call actually went through. I was actually on the show. So they had a physicist on the show who used science to respond to what-if scenarios. So things like, what if I got swallowed by a whale? Or... What if you dug a hole to China and jumped in? So what would happen? So, and he used science to answer those questions. But I had a question about being an astronaut, and they answered. Here's my moment where I got to ask a question to thousands of listeners on public radio. Here it is. Sean in Salt Lake, welcome to Science Friday. Hey, hi, Ira. Hey there, go ahead. Okay, so I was wondering if I was on Mars in my spacesuit and my helmet came off or something bad happened in my suit, what would happen? And how would that compare to what would happen, say, on the moon? Okay. Okay, so the atmosphere on Mars is one one-hundredth as thick as the atmosphere on the Earth. And it turns out that at that low pressure, um, your, if you had an open glass of water on Mars, it would boil. So eventually, the water in your body would boil. But it turns out, you know, that chemists, when they go to boil fluids, they throw in things called boiling beads, and they have little scratches on them, and it it promotes the actual gentle beginning of boiling. But you don't have boiling beads inside your skin. So your helmet comes off. You've got maybe 15 seconds, and people have tested this, before the blood in your body bursts into boiling and you swell up. I think just like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in that movie once. Uh, I think they actually, they got that part right. Of course, then they restored the entire atmosphere of Mars in the next few seconds. And that's probably pushing the science a little bit far. So we didn't get around to what it was like um, on the moon, but but that's because I I think it's pretty much the same thing. Um, It's pretty much just as bad on the moon or anywhere else in space where there's nowhere at all as opposed to being on Mars, where there's so little atmosphere that there might as well not be any air at all when it comes to your skin boiling. And that total recall scene, um, if you want to be disturbed, go ahead and watch it. But but it's really not that bad because it kind of has that fake claymation stuff with the face swelling and stuff. Anyway, wouldn't recommend uh, taking your helmet off in space. So, So why does water boil in space? Let me simplify this, hopefully, to an everyday application. So pressure cookers. Pressure cookers have the same effect, but they're in the opposite direction. Pressure cookers, they allow you to increase the boiling temperature of water from 212 degrees Fahrenheit to 250. So in Celsius, you're raising the boiling point from 100 degrees to 121 degrees. So if you increase the pressure, and that's what pressure cookers do, the boiling point goes up. Likewise, if you decrease 
the pressure, the opposite thing happens. The boiling point goes down. That's why it sucks boiling water if you're up in the Himalayas, because if you try making hot cocoa on Mount Everest, um, the boiling point goes from 212 degrees to about 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And in Celsius, the boiling point goes from 100 to 71. So actually, that's that's not that bad. Um, if, If you don't like your hot cocoa scalding hot, then, then that shouldn't really be a big deal. But if you're on Mars, even in, even as cold as that is, its atmosphere has such a low pressure that water boils pretty much immediately. So there's your fun trivia fact for the day. So if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm kind of fascinated with space. And I've been like this ever since I was a little kid. When I was a kid, I was so fascinated with the planets that I actually wrote a song so I could remember the order of the planets. Yeah, pretty pretty nerdy. Want to hear it? Uh, well, I, I actually don't care if you want to hear it or not. Um, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna play it for you. And no, I probably wrote this when I was like ten. Um, just keep that in mind. Anyway, here it goes. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto is the last planet in the solar system. Yeah. Now, it's significant that I wrote this when I was 10 because Pluto was still a planet back then. If I would have written it after my junior year of high school, the ending would have undoubtedly not included Pluto because in August 2006... Pluto was declassified as a planet by the International Astronomical Union. R.I.P. Pluto. When I was a kid, I fantasized about being an astronaut. In fact, I still do. Even up till now, I I still haven't let go of this little fantasy. So, So about a year ago, there was an application to be an astronaut on USA Jobs website. And I looked at the qualifications to see if I had a chance because I was, I was an engineering student. And, uh, you know, now I'm, in, now I'm a mechanical engineer. So I felt like I had a fighting chance of this. So here is what the qualifications were. Ability to swim several lengths of a pool in a set amount of time. Yeah, check. Having a bachelor's degree or higher in uh, engineering field. Check. Three years in the space industry. Well, not yet, but I'm an engineer. Hmm. Anyway, but then it said on the application, ability to speak Russian is a plus. So unless they're impressed with my um, ability to say hello and how are you in Russian, I I don't think I would excel in this category. You know, I I have a... Stratsvitya, kaktila... Let's see, Minyazavut Shan. Yeah, and that's that's it. So why is speaking Russian on that application? It's because ever since NASA decommissioned the space shuttle a few years ago, the only way to get people into space is on Russian rockets. So this is an important field for the U.S. to work with the Russians. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Earlier this year, three astronauts came back to Earth after being in space for 173 days on the International Space Station. 
That's the ISS. Actually, I'm kind of inaccurate when I say three astronauts. Rather, it was two cosmonauts. That's what we call Russian astronauts. And one astronaut came back to the Earth. The two Russian cosmonauts were Sergei Rizikov and Andrei Beresenko. And they were with the American astronaut Shane Kimbrough or Kimbrow or... <laughs> Man, I'm struggling with the, the American's name. Anyway, um, so now think about it. These guys were up in space before Trump won the election. They've been together amidst news down on Earth of things like, you know, a Trump-Vladimir-Putin bromance, um, Russia meddling in the U.S. election, and, and, and really just days after them landing, the news of the U.S. accusing Russia of covering up Syrian acts of chemical warfare. Remember that earlier this year? But shortly after landing near uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Shane Kimbrough, that's the American on the crew, he reported that the crew gets along just fine. Uh, he said that the space station was, quote, a great model for society. Now, why would he say this? Uh, despite a few language barriers, this is basically what he's described. He, he, he's basically said, despite a few language barriers, they all really like each other. He said they share each other's food and learn some of the slang in each other's languages. Um, there's even a picture online um, of them joining hands all together, all three of them. Now, I'm not sure if they were just like straight up holding hands or, or doing the whole like team huddle, hands in the middle type of thing. But they clearly like each other. Now, just a few days after these guys landed, things proved to be quite different for the Earthlings in politics. Only two days after the crew landed, the U.S. Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, he visited Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Tillerson's report back was that the U.S.-Russia relations were, quote, at a low point. And this came because, among other things, the U.S. had recently launched a military strike on, on a Syrian airbase in response to Syria's uh, chemical weapons attack, which killed several, several of their own civilians. So Syria and Russia, they're allies. And when Vla Vladimir Putin met with Rex Tillerson, Putin essentially said he didn't have a problem with Russia-Syria relations conflicting with Russia-U.S. relations. Now, this continues to be a problem. Exactly two weeks ago, a U.S. Air Force plane was flying over the Baltic Sea, and there was a Russian plane that flew five, about five feet from it, um, kind of being provocative in that way. And we even have, there's pictures of this online. It was, it was ridiculously close and dangerous. Yeah, it was quite dangerous. Now, according to somebody named Jorge uh, Benitez, he, he's uh, of the Atlantic Council. He was talking to NPR, and, and it was his opinion that this was all connected to the issue in Syria. So this guy points out that that incident was related to the Syria-Russia issue. Um, because it just so happens the day before that that five-foot flyby happened that the U.S. actually shot down a Syrian uh, fighter plane that was working for the Assad regime. And uh, that plane actually was getting a little too close and too provocative for the coalition forces that were fighting against ISIS in Syria. So, things are a little rough between the U.S. and Russia. 
The good news is this. The U.S.-Russia relations in outer space are as good as ever. And, and, and I, I'm not exaggerating. This, this is true. So when Shane Kimbrough, you know, the American astronaut that was hanging with the two Russian cosmonauts, when he was interviewed by a reporter, um, Dave Vergen from the Army News Service, he said this, quote, When they pick astronauts, one of the criteria is, are you going to annoy somebody if you were in a small area for a long time? Because if so, we don't want you here doing this job. You can do something else. Close quote. Wow. What if we as Americans made this part of our criteria in who we should put in as a politician? People who can actually work well with others. They, they don't have to worry about, you know, the whole confined spaces thing that, that the guy just said. But, but then again, they do. Because when we get Democrats and Republican members uh, of Congress in one room, the room is not big enough for their unmovable, uncompromising opinions. Huh. I mean, maybe there's something we can learn from astronauts and cosmonauts. They seem to be even more sportsmanlike than Olympians. <laughs> I mean, remember the, well, remember the Russia doping scandal from the 2014 Winter Olympics? Yeah, that kind of didn't uh, show good um, sportsmanship. I think the biggest difference between astronauts and politicians and even Olympians is that the Russians and the Americans are in fact on the same team. But it hasn't always been this way. Let's go back to the days of the space race where the U.S. and Russia competed in all things space. It wasn't really the healthy competition you'd expect to see in the Olympics either. Um, to many, it was it was a battle between capitalism and communism. It was a big show of strength. We all seem to know about John F. Kennedy talking about the space race and going to the moon in his speech he gave in 1962, especially this clip. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. We all seem to recall this part of the speech, but, but let's take a moment to recall another part of the speech. Here's President Kennedy's justification for taking part in the space race. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in this race for space. And this generation does not intend to founder in the backwash of the coming age of space. We mean to be a part of it. We mean to lead it. And here's where he really gets into why this race is more than a friendly science fair competition. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom and peace. In other words, this is a battle between communism and democracy. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. He's probably referring to how the Soviets were the first to develop the intercontinental ballistic missile, 
you know, ICBM. This made the space race tense because an ICBM could launch a nuclear warhead to a faraway country as a rocket goes into orbit and lands at its country in a matter of minutes. And by the time of this uh, John F. Kennedy speech, the Americans actually had caught up on the ICBM part of the space race, and they had put nukes in them. But the space race came to an end when the U.S. landed on the moon, and the Soviets, after repeated attempts, kind of gave up on the whole thing. Years after the space race, when the smoke had settled, President Nixon and the president of the Soviet Union decided that working together might be the best option for moving forward in space. So they teamed up and combined equipment for both countries to accomplish a joint mission. And that legacy has remained when they built the International Space Station in 1998. That was the same International Space Station from which those two cosmonauts and one astronaut came from when they landed earlier this year. So why are U.S.-Russia relations as good as ever in space, where it's not that way down on Earth? Here are some of my theories. First, in going to space, Americans and Russians need each other to be successful, and they realize that. Second, space has become a neutral ground where there's no borders. And lastly, when these astronauts are up in what we call low Earth orbit, they gain a higher perspective on everything looking down on the Earth. I believe this notion was best dictated in the movie Rocket Man, as astronaut Fred Randall is on his way to Mars in his spaceship, talking to the President of the United States as he looks at the Earth through his spaceship window. To me, this may be one of the best moments of movie history. Mr. President, sir, uh, from up here I can, uh, well, I, I could see the whole world out that window. And, uh, well, I know down there there's a lot of wars and people fighting and so on and whatnot. But from up here, it, I feel like I could just take the whole world and hold it in my hands, just like a, a ripe little blueberry. I feel like I could, it's almost like I, I got the whole world in my hands. I got the whole world in my That wraps up on Uninformed's space episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like the show, subscribe on our podcast app. Our intro music was provided by D.D. Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Ununinformed. Thanks for listening.